Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. Hi, I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology for the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Here today with me is Dr. Ellie Thiel, the Laboratory Director of the Infectious Diseases Serology Laboratory at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Thiel has led and continues to lead the efforts to evaluate and implement antibody testing for COVID-19, and these tests are now available through Mayo Clinic Laboratories for physicians and their patients across the United States. So now Dr. Thiel and I spoke about serology first in April and then in June, and now here we are in November, and I can't believe how fast this year has gone by, and yet parts of it haven't gone by fast. Uh, it's been just such an interesting year, Ellie. So glad to have you back on the show again. Thank you. Glad to be here. Let's start with a basic question. Has the utility or the role of antibody testing changed or evolved in any way for you over the past months or since the pandemic began? Yeah, so interestingly, it hasn't really evolved that much. So the primary role for antibody testing really remains in performing seroprevalence studies, which would identify individuals with past infection or uh, potentially asymptomatic infection, which they didn't know they had because they weren't tested by a molecular assay. But those sorts of studies are really dependent on having a highly specific assay, meaning that you don't get a lot of false positive results. And since we last talked, there have been many tests that have been approved by the FDA or authorized by the FDA that have high specificity for these sorts of studies. Also, antibody testing still continues to play an important role in the qualification of convalescent plasma for therapy. So I think since we last talked, one of the newest things is that the FDA provided emergency use authorization for treatment of COVID-19 with convalescent plasma. And as part of that EUA, they specifically identified one assay that can be used to qualify uh, units, but that might change in the future. Another utility still is research, especially during vaccine uh, trials to kind of look at efficacy and then the immune response. But I think one challenge that remains is that we still don't really have a good correlate of protective immunity. So that still kind of remains a challenge. And then from the diagnostic perspective, we still do not recommend using antibody testing to diagnose current COVID-19. But uh, one area that's emerged where antibody testing may be helpful for diagnosis is to detect multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, or, or MIS-C, mm. uh, where a positive antibody test result is actually now part of the case definition for that condition. So Interesting. So there have been some changes, even if the general role hasn't really evolved much. I like what you said, and I'll just reiterate it because it's so important. So we don't use antibodies to detect acute infection in most people, except for maybe the inflammatory syndrome in children, but that's really um, a very different kind of clinical picture. So most of the time when people, as Dr. Maurice and I have been talking about week after week, you know, if they're sick or they worry about having COVID, they go and they get a molecular test or maybe even an antigen test. But the antibody tests, I think of them as very different. Yeah, they definitely have a different role to play. Not as important, I would say, as molecular testing 
for diagnosis in, in particular. Sure, that makes sense. That's testing. Uh, what do we know about the antibody response to the virus and how has our knowledge grown in that area? I think one question that people have is, do we all make antibodies to the virus and how long do those antibodies last and will they protect us from reinfection? Yeah, lots of questions in there, Bobby. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, the vast majority of infected individuals will make antibodies to the virus. Um, I'd say over 90, 95% uh, will be antibody positive. But we have learned that some individuals, particularly those that have a more mild infection or potentially those that are uh, maybe asymptomatic, may not seroconvert, or they might have a really short duration of detectable antibodies, or at least as detected by our testing. So across studies, anywhere from three to maybe 8% of individuals seem to be seronegative despite mm -hmm. uh, confirmed infection. Now, how that relates to protective immunity against reinfection, uh, we, we really don't know because you know, we're detecting antibodies, so we're detecting uh, the humoral immune response, but there's a whole other branch of immunity, cellular immunity, T-cell immunity in particular, which we're learning more and more, does play an important role in protection and response to the virus. I'm glad you mentioned that because Dr. Maurice is an immunologist and he loves all of this. And in one of our upcoming talks, we're actually going to cover the distant uh, differences first between just adaptive versus innate immunity, but then adaptive immunity, what your body actually forms in response to some sort of pathogen, as you said, can be really considered as the humoral immunity, the antibody response versus cellular immunity. And that gets into T cells and natural killer cells. And, and Dr. Maurice just loves all that. So we're going to cover that in one of our next topics. Great. I will leave that to him. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's important to know, though, that, yeah, antibodies are just one way that your body protects against threats like viruses. So, yeah, it's interesting that, what did you say, three to eight percent? Roughly, yeah. Yeah, don't form antibodies. It'll be interesting as we find out more to know if those individuals have other protective measures that would keep them from getting reinfected. We do know it looks like some people rarely will be reinfected. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, we say this a lot, but I think it's very true. There's still a lot to learn about the virus and our response to it. I agree. Well, now you mentioned briefly there's a, a neutralizing antibody test that recently received FDA uh, emergency use authorization. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you envision that test being used? Yeah, so there is now a surrogate neutralizing antibody test uh, that essentially looks for the presence of this particular type of antibody that's able to inhibit the receptor binding domain of the virus from interacting with the ACE2 receptor on host cells. Um, and this is done in an in vitro format. So it's essentially a blockade of binding ELISA-based assay. And I think it's definitely a step forward because detecting these antibodies, which are able to inhibit the virus from essentially replicating, we classically detect these neutralizing antibodies using challenging techniques like plaque reduction neutralization tests and pseudoviral neutralization assays, which are just technically difficult assays. So most labs aren't going to implement them. So having this high throughput assay in an ELISA format is definitely a benefit. The challenge, though, in my opinion, is how to really use and interpret 
the results from this assay. So it's a qualitative test. It just provides a positive or negative result for neutralizing antibodies. And we don't really know how to use that. So neutralizing antibodies are typically associated with immunity. But again, we don't know what level or how much of these neutralizing antibodies are correlated with protective immunity. So a single positive or negative results, I don't really know what that adds beyond what our current antibody tests are, are telling us, which also detect binding and neutralizing antibodies. And we know that most individuals that are positive by the currently available antibody assays are also neutralizing antibody positive. So I, you know, I think the benefit or the utility of this particular assay at, at this point has yet to be established. Well, I guess it goes back to what you said, that there's still a lot about this virus and this disease, COVID-19, that we have to learn. Just to kind of recap for the audience then, so most people will form antibodies in response to the virus, but there's this small percentage where we can't detect antibodies. Of the antibodies they form, it seems like most of them, but not all of them, are what we would call neutralizing. So they actually prevent the virus from replicating. But not all of them are neutralizing. Some are just binding. Yes. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Yeah, it's very interesting. So being able to detect those, but if our normal antibody tests also detect them because that's mostly what we form, then yeah. yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Right. We're learning a lot more about immunology to infectious diseases through this. Are. Um, and I would say the public is learning a lot more about <laughs> immunology than they ever have before. <laughs> it's true. I mean, how many general people now talk about antibodies and PPE and all of the little things that we talk about now that yeah, have entered the yeah, general public lingo? We've become a, a lot more of an educated population when it comes to infectious diseases and, and testing them so well I think that's a good thing in general and you know another term that is getting uh, thrown around a lot is the term herd immunity for those of, who have listened to some of my past conversations with Dr. Maurice we've covered herd, herd immunity a little bit but let me ask you can we reach herd immunity based on natural infection alone yeah it's it's an interesting question you know, the concept of herd immunity, or as you and Dr. Maurice talked about before, herd protection, mm -hmm. it's typically discussed in relation to vaccine efficacy. It's not really a goal that we've strived to achieve through natural infection, especially mm -hmm. with a disease that can be so devastating to a large percentage of the population. But can we reach herd protection, herd immunity naturally? Um, we probably could, but as you guys discussed, that would be associated with millions of deaths and uh, potentially long-lasting sequelae for many that were infected but survived the infection. And then the cost to the healthcare system and infrastructure are really some things that I don't think any of us want to actually think about. So when we think about you know, long-term protection and immunity to this virus, I think we really have to focus on vaccine-induced immunity, um, yeah. which would be safer than natural-induced immunity. Yeah, I agree. And I guess the good news is that we're getting closer to a vaccine. So 
actually, that's a good question to lead into our last discussion, which is once we have a vaccine, do you envision antibody testing being used to confirm that vaccination was successful, that people develop an antibody response because of the vaccine? Great question. I'm not sure that we have a great answer for that um, at this point, but I, I do think that answer will be dependent on a number of factors which might change over time, but those factors would include things like the efficacy of the vaccine itself, the documented zero conversion rates in clinical trials, and then also whether or not employers, universities, or other facilities will require um, documentation of vaccination status. Some of those are definitely unknowns at this point, but as, as you know, we offer, we do post-vaccination antibody testing for a lot of our vaccine-preventable diseases like MMRV and tetanus and others, and we offer this because many universities require documentation of vaccination status, either by providing actual paperwork that you've received the vaccine or by measuring antibody levels. And then similarly, testing for these vaccine preventable diseases as part of prenatal care. And, you know, it's done prior to initiation of immunosuppressive therapies. So I can envision scenarios for which post-vaccination antibody testing might be required or, or might be needed. But kind of along those lines, if, if we go down that route, I think it'll be really important to make sure that we're using the right antibody test to detect an immune response to the vaccine. The vaccines at this point are really all based on the, the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. So we'd wanna make sure that we're using antibody tests that detect antibodies against the spike protein, not say the nucleocapsid protein, which a vaccine would not induce an immune response to. So I think uh, it's kind of an open question at this point, um, but I can see certain scenarios where post-vaccination antibody testing may be helpful. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, would you say out of all the antibody tests, how many of them are spike uh, that detect antibodies to the spike protein? Many. It's all of them, right? No, it's not. Many of them are. Um, I guess I don't have a good number for you, but there's a decent number that are based on the nucleocapsid protein. Mm -hmm. So we just want to make sure that uh, we're offering the right testing for post-vaccination. And even though I'd I would assume that the vaccine-induced immune response would be detected by these spike-based assays. We haven't actually confirmed that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we'd really want to do that before we move forward. Well, those are important messages for the audience, especially if you're a physician or healthcare provider ordering a test. You can't just order your local antibody test after someone gets a vaccine and assume that it's gonna tell you the information you want. Exactly. So, Yep. Again, getting back to what we've talked about a lot on this uh, podcast is the importance of working with your laboratory experts to know what you're really testing and using the right test. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Well, very enlightening. Thank you again, uh, Ellie, for all the great information. It's always uh, great to talk about the immune response and all the tests that we've developed and that you've had in your labs and still do for detecting antibodies. Thanks, Bobby. It's really been a uh, collective departmental effort <laughs> to get all the assays up and running. So we really greatly appreciate it. Thank you again. Thank you.
thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. <laughs>